Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today and uh, say amen to that. Every last life is sacred. That's what God declares. God even tells his people to leave the corners of the field unharvested, to care for the widows and the orphans, to care for the stranger and the poor. In other words, our God is concerned about the most vulnerable among us. And he calls us, his children, to be as well. It's coming Friday. More than a million people are expected to gather in Washington, D.C. for the National March for Life, the largest pro-life rally in the world. It's been going on for some 46 years now, since 1973, which was the year that the Supreme Court ruling approved abortion in our country. And the march is built on the conviction that unborn babies are made in the image of God. And as such, deserving of the rights that God has given to all people. And I want to outline for us today two key reasons why we, pro-life advocates in general and Lake City Community Church specifically, why we believe this and why we take it seriously. And then I want to address some of the red herrings in the discussion and finally, I want to offer a word of hope. Wherever you stand on the issue, whatever your history with abortion might be, I want to have a word of hope for you today. And all of this is simply meant to serve and to love both the unborn and those who have had abortion as part of their story. So I'd ask you to find your sermon notes and pull them out if you haven't already or open those up on your church app at this time. Those will help you follow along. And we're going to begin with the question, why are we pro-life? And to state it as simply as I can, we believe that the unborn are human beings created in the image of God. Therefore, they are worthy of our protection. Two big reasons that I want to present to you today. And the first is from science and logic. While that might seem like a strange place to begin, I start there on purpose because many people you and I speak to place a higher value on science than on the Bible. Scientifically, the human embryo from the point of conception onward is already a human entity. As Dr. Maureen Kondik states, and this is what she wrote, embryos are not merely collections of human cells, but living creatures distinct from a group of cells. Embryos are capable of growing, maturing, maintaining a physiologic balance between various organ systems, adapting to changing circumstances, and repairing injury. Mere groups of human cells do nothing like this under any circumstances. And this is not a minority opinion either. Most every single text, science textbook recognizes that human embryos aren't just an extension of the mother or collections of cells, but rather independent, independent human beings. And more and more scientists are beginning to admit that, that a fetus in a mother's womb is indeed a human being. They don't necessarily know what to do with that, but those who are honest at least admit it. And then there is the Bible itself. For those of us who are Christians, there can be no doubt that the unborn are fully human, full persons. Bible writers consistently talk about the unborn in that way. 
And while it's true that the word abortion does not appear anywhere in the word of God, it is also true that God is outspokenly pro-life. That is apparent throughout the word of God. And to support that, I want to give you five reasons from God's word today that indicate how absolutely pro-life God is. Here's the first one. All people are created in the image of God. All people created in the image of God. The very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible says this, Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for these words of your holy book. Thank you for the vision that you have given us of life and your value for life and your purpose for us as those created in your image. And God, we just ask that you'd speak to our hearts today, that you'd prepare us for the truths of your word that we're going to look at. I know this can be a hard subject, so Father, thank you that uh, you are the God of hope and love and that you have great things for us that we're going to see from your word today. We ask your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were to read the entire account of creation, Genesis chapter 1, we'd see that what we just read here in these verses is a break from what precedes it, the rest of the chapter. God created various things for six days straight. And this is day number six of his creation. On this day, God did something unique and different. First, God created the heavens and the earth, and then he created the fish and sea creatures, and then he created birds and things that fly. Then God created animals and all the things that inhabit the earth, animals and reptiles and all of that. And finally, on the very last day of creation, God created mankind. And man was different than every other thing that God created because man, we read, is made in the image and likeness of God. In that way, man and woman are different from all of the rest of his creation. We call this the Imago Dei, the image of God. And this means that mankind, both male and female, are like God and that we represent God. The particular Hebrew words for image and likeness here in Genesis 1 refer to something that is similar but different, not identical. And we could spend the entire morning on the Imago Dei. In fact, theologians have written volumes on this one subject. That's beyond the scope of this sermon today. But I, I tell you this much simply to say this. Mankind holds a special place in God's creation. We are unique and we are different because only mankind is created in the image of God. We have a unique relationship with our creator that is not shared by any other part of his creation. None of the animal kingdom, 
was thinking about that and over all of the years that Jack and I have been married and our kids and the animals that we've had living in our home, the cats and the dogs and the hamsters and the chickens and the, the fish and even a couple of uh, stick bugs. And uh, one thing that I've noticed is that none of those animals ever seem to be particularly worried about eternity. What happens after they die? Planning for their estates. What to do about sin and, and shame and things like that. So I know some of you, especially if you're a dog lover, you're like, actually my dog, Jim, my dog does feel shame. You know, when I scold him, he just kind of hangs his head and I can tell he's feeling shame. I just want to say to you, there's a difference between shame and fear. All right? I can get whipped and my soul is sinful are not the same thing. Human beings were created to seek after God and to understand eternity in a way that animals simply don't. Okay, well they just don't. They don't seek after God. See, humankind alone carries the joy and the burden of that. We have a soul. And there's a moral, spiritual component in us that is not in the rest of God's creation. On top of that, there's a special relationship between humankind and the rest of God's creation. It's denoted in the words that we just read here, where God said, subdue them and have dominion over them. You ever thought about that? How humans were not the fastest, were not the biggest, were not the strongest. But clearly, God has given us dominion over the rest of his creation. We're to govern over it to rule over it. God made us in his image and then placed his creation, the rest of his creation, in our care. It's the edict that was given to man and woman in the Garden of Eden. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all that I've made. That's the creation mandate given to human beings. So let's get back to the point at hand now, the image of God. And that's key for us to understand this truth when it comes to understanding life in the womb. That means all human life, including life in the womb, as we'll see, is sacred. Because human life is a reflection of our creator. That explains, by the way, the protection that we see for life given in God's word. Genesis 9 says this. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. We read of nothing like that as it relates to shedding the blood of animals. But man is made in the image of God and there's a price, God says, to be paid for those who shed the blood of mankind. So who are we to decide that a human life, however it is conceived, no matter how small or fragile is not worthy of fulfilling the destiny that he or she was created to fulfill. And not just babies, mind you. Euthanasia is also wrong on the other end of the spectrum of life for the same reason. All human life is sacred because all human life is a reflection of our creator. Here's a second truth we need to see from God's word. The unborn are created and known by God. The Bible tells us God creates life. 
And God is involved with that life even in the womb. That means life is sacred even before birth. And there are many verses that we could look at, but I want to start with Isaiah 44. Isaiah wrote this. He said, God speaking, I am your creator. You were in my care even before you were born. And then there's Psalm 139. And the reason Psalm 139 is so important is that it tells us more about when and where the image of God begins. According to God's word, that image begins in our mother's womb. I want to show you that. This is Psalm 139 beginning at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I love this passage, the beautiful poetry it contains, and the, the graphic picture here of God's infinite or intimate involvement with the preborn child. It describes the, miracle, the uh, moral and the spiritual component that we alone possess as ones created in God's image. How he actively put all of that together when we were still in our mother's womb. Conclusion, life is sacred. God forms life in the womb and it is special to him. Here's truth number three. The unborn are called babies by God. God himself is the divine author of scripture. So as we read these various passages, realize this is God's opinion shining through about life in the womb. For example, when Rebekah was pregnant with Jacob and Esau, here's what the scripture says about those babies. It says, the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And that word babies here in Genesis 25:22 is the very same Hebrew word used for already born children. So the inspired word of God makes no distinction between a baby in the womb and the baby that has already been born. They're called the exact same thing, babies. And I've listed several other passages of scripture on your sermon notes for you to check out. We don't have time to go read through those, but the, every one of them shows the very same thing. Here's the fourth truth to consider. The unborn are protected as persons by God. In the book of Exodus, God gave his people many regulations for how to do life. And the one that I want you to see regards the matter of injuring life in the womb. And this is important because it tells us how God views life before birth. Exodus 21 says this. If men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life. 
So if a pregnant woman is hit and that causes a premature birth and the baby lives, then there's just a fine. But the Bible was written before the wonders of modern medicine and often when a baby was born prematurely back then, it did die. And what God said is that you're to treat someone who causes that to happen just as you treat someone who injures or kills any other person. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. Listen, the penalty for taking life in the womb was exactly the same as for taking any other human life. Now this tells us that God considers it as valuable as any other human life. And here's a fifth and final truth that we see in God's word. The unborn are called by God. And by called, I mean even before birth, God has special plans for them. He creates each and every person for a unique purpose. Psalm 139 taught that as well, but let's consider a couple of other verses about this. In Isaiah 49, for example, what Isaiah wrote about himself is significant. He said, the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. In other words, before his birth, Isaiah says, God knew me and he called, my, called me for a special purpose. The Apostle Paul said virtually the same thing in Galatians 1. He said, but God had special plans for me and set me apart for his work even before I was born. Listen, beloved, God made you and me for a reason. He has special plans for your life, for every person. So what's the conclusion of all of these verses? Well, when you add up these truths, it is very, very clear. Life in the womb is created by God and is sacred. God has a special relationship with every person he has created because we are a reflection of the Imago Dei. Therefore, we must do all we can to protect the unborn. Now, the conversation about abortion really hinges on one big question. And the question is this, are the unborn human or not? If they aren't human, then you don't have, need much reasoning to end up justifying abortion. But if they are human, then the reasoning be behind pro-choice arguments just falls apart. The arguments become red herrings. Now, a red herring is a dried fish that has been brined until it turns red, which makes it smell pretty bad. And the origin of the term is a helpful metaphor at this point. The story goes that a person might be able to use the scent of a red herring, a, a fish like that, to distract tracking dogs so that they would be thrown off the trail. So the term red herring has come to refer to something that is a distraction. It's not relevant to the issue at hand, but it is thrown out simply to mislead or to distract somebody. And I want to mention three of the common red herrings thrown out by pro-choice advocates today. And the first one is this. It's a, woman's it's a woman's body, so the decision is up to her. And that's a pretty common statement that you'll hear. And it sounds good, but it contains a logical fallacy. 
Whether it is right or wrong to intentionally kill someone depends on the person being killed, not on the gender of the person making the argument for or against it. So remember, again, the central question is this. Is the fetus in the womb a human being created in the image of God or not? And to answer that question, we have to examine the validity and the soundness of the respective arguments. Arguments don't have gender. And we've already seen that the evidence is overwhelming, that all life, even life in the womb, is human. Red herring number two. What if a mother's life is threatened by pregnancy or by childbirth? Great question. However, I don't think we realize how rare that situation really is. Listen to the way Randy Alcorn answered this in one of his books. This is what he wrote. While he was United States Surgeon General, Dr. C. Everett Koop stated publicly that in his 38 years as a pediatric surgeon, he was never aware of a single situation in which a preborn child's life had to be taken in order to save the life of the mother. So that question is another red herring or another red herring or a smoke screen because it grabs your attention and it gets your emotions. But essentially, it's a non-factor in the discussion. In fact, Randy goes on to explain in his book that abortion to save a mother's life was already legal before Roe v. Wade and would certainly continue to be legal even if Roe v. Wade was overturned. Here's a third red herring. If you don't like abortion, don't have one. That's kind of like saying this is none of your business, so just forget about it. But I want you to consider for a minute how irrational that argument is. You see, we're not talking about some insignificant preference here. This isn't a taste test like, uh, do you like Pepsi better or Coke better? And if you don't like Pepsi, then don't drink it. What we're talking about is people's lives. 60 million lives are aborted every year in our world. Listen, beloved, I don't oppose abortion because it violates some preference of mine. I oppose it because I believe it ends a human life that is created in the image of God. To imagine just how absurd that statement is that I just read, change the variables in it. What would you think if someone said, well, don't like slavery? Then don't own a slave. Or, or uh, don't like sexual assault? Then don't do it. Pretty insensitive and pretty irrational if you think about it. There are many, many more red herring arguments commonly repeated today. Each one of them has a great answer. Please don't be distracted by them. And that brings us to the big question of the day, which is where do we go from here? It's one thing to understand what God's word says about life in the womb. But we also need to talk about what do we do with that truth? Okay, and here's a few practical ways we can respond. First of all, if you know someone who is pregnant and needs help, here's a couple of suggestions. Okay, whether it's yourself and you're kind of struggling with a decision about what to do with your pregnancy or somebody that you know that you want to help, two resources that I suggest for you. And the first one is simply called Lifeguards. And Lifeguards is a brand new ministry here at Lake City. And I'm excited to share with you a little bit about today. 
There's five gals in our church family who have just recently gone through the training from CareNet, the Making Life Disciples training. And we're going to let Laura Devine introduce uh, this new ministry to you by way of video. So let's watch that now. Hi, I'm Laura Devine. I'm here to tell you about a new ministry, the Lake City Lifeguards. Our mission is to provide confidential and judgment-free, compassionate hope and help with people facing a hard pregnancy decision. Whatever the situation is, we're here to walk alongside you. You won't be alone. Please come and see us in the gathering area. Talk to any of us, or you can email us at lifeguards at lc3.com. We especially want to encourage the ministry leaders and the small group leaders. Please come by and find out more about this ministry. So these are the five ladies that just went through the Making Life Disciples course and invested uh, hours and hours and weeks of their uh, time and training, and we want to thank you for that. Another resource I want to recommend to you is our CareNet ministry. CareNet is a network of pregnancy resource centers in the Puget Sound area. And we're very blessed to have one right here in Lakewood, right across from Clover Park High School. And they have a phone number that is available there. It's on the screen. It's in your notes on our uh, church app. 24-7 uh, helpline that we encourage you to check out. So here's the second thing that we need to consider, and this one includes something here for everyone. Now that we know what God says about life, it's important that we do something about that, choose to do something about it. It's not uncommon for people to say or even to think and just to themselves, you know, well, what can just one person do? What can just one church do to put an end to abortion? But the truth is that each one of us can do much, and together we can do even more. Proverbs 24 tells us this. It says, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Beloved, we are among those who do know. And we will be held accountable to do something with what we know. And here are some great ways all of us can take action. God doesn't call all of us to do the same thing and be involved in the same way, but there's many ways we can get involved. The first one is the Washington March for Life, which is coming up this Tuesday in Olympia. It's at noon on Tuesday. And here's a photo from last year's March for Life down there. Uh, again, again th it's this Tuesday, so it's not Monday this year. If you're used to going down on Mondays, you'll be alone, I think, probably. Here's a, another picture from one of the recent Marches for Life. So it's on Tuesday this year at noon on the steps of the Capitol. Then there's 40 Days for Life. 40 Days for Life is a pre peaceful prayer vigil that's held in the spring and the fall for 40 days <laughs> uh, in front of abortion clinics all over the world. In almost 50 countries and in hundreds of cities around our nation, including right here in Tacoma, uh, those kind of peaceful prayer vigils take place. In case you're wondering what difference it makes for a few people to uh, stand out in front and pray, here's a quote I want you to pay attention to. Listen to this. Former Planned Parenthood director Abby Johnson says that at the last Planned Parenthood conference she went to, they told her that when there is a peaceful presence outside their abortion facilities, the cancellation rate can climb to as high as 
it does make a difference, in other words. And over the years, over 200 abortion workers have quit their jobs in the abortion industry during 40 Days for Life campaigns. More than 100 abortion centers around our country have closed down. And more than 16,000 lives of babies have been saved. So that's great news. That's awesome. It does make a difference. Sean Carney uh, shared this story in his newest book, and I quote, he says, One day a woman pulled up and rolled down her car window. Those praying thought that she might yell something, so they calmly walked toward her. The young woman leaned toward them and said, I came here for an abortion a year ago, and you were here. I saw you, and I just couldn't do it. Thank you for being here. Please look in the back seat. You see my little boy? He is alive because of you. I love that. By the way, the spring campaign for 40 Days for Life begins February 26th. We'll remind you about that, but I encourage you to come and be part of it as much as you can. Another great uh, way to get involved is to be a volunteer at, at uh, CareNet, and carenetpartners.org is the place that you can go to learn more about that, or you can stop by their table out in the gathering area right after the service. Great place to volunteer and make a difference. Students for Life is another ministry in our area that I've just been learning about recently, and we are going to let a gal named Juliana Johns introduce this ministry to us by video. Uh, Juliana, when she was 17 years old, a student at uh, Tacoma Community College, started a Students for Life chapter there, and she wants to tell you about it right now. I've asked her to do that, so let's watch that video. Hello, my name is Juliana Johns. I'm a student at Tacoma Community College. I'm going to be talking about Students for Life, the organization, um, and the pro-life movement in general. And so I was like many of you raised in a pro-life home. Um, it didn't really understand what it was until I was listening to the radio and um, I heard a news reporter saying there's a hand, there's a leg, and he was gathering aborted children and giving them a proper burial. And that's for me when it clicked. I started bawling um, and I knew that I needed to do everything in my power to stop this injustice. It was just so horrible that before that point I didn't think it was real. Um, and so over the years, you know, our family's done 40 days for life. And as I started getting older, like 12, 13, I started when I was nine, um, I started seeing girls my own age going into the clinic. And it just made it more personal because you have that age bond with someone. And you just wanted to reach out, give them a hug. You know, you could see their hopelessness and you just wanted to make it all better, help them, give them the resources, love and support. Um, and sometimes you can't. And you just need to stand there and pray and trust in the Lord. Um, and so I think Students for Life does a really great job of reaching these young girls and women before they get to that point. So basically, um, they do clubs on campus. So you can start one like I did. Um, and Basically, you're there to let people know what resources are in your community, what the resources are on campus, um, that people care, what abortion really is, um, educate people. So Students for Life helps you put on events. Um, so they'll come to campus with a regional coordinator. They'll walk you through starting your own club, learning how to do meetings, getting um, officers and president. Um, and so basically, 
you put on events on your campus. They'll bring all the supplies for you um, and you'll be able to talk to people, engage, um, change hearts and minds. And, you know, every quarter at our school we have a club fair, which is pretty common on most campuses. And this one time, it was, I think it was our second one, um, one of my friends was actually part of the Planned Parenthood club. And our tables were facing each other. And um, I needed somebody man our booth for a little half an hour. I like having two people. I need one extra person. So I was like, could you do it? You know, you'll be standing behind the table. You don't need to say anything. It's going to be okay. Um, and he agreed. And he wasn't really thrilled about it, you know. And when I came back, we had fetal models on the tables. So we had like the two little 12-week ones. And then we had like the bigger ones. And so we had even a 36-week. And he was holding the baby in his arms. And when somebody would walk by, he would basically throw this baby in their arms. And he'd be, and then other club member would say, this exact size and weight of a 36-week-old baby. And so we're talking about the public movement with these people. And they essentially were stuck there listening because they're holding this baby. And it just made it so much more real. And I, we just saw so many hearts change that day. Um, just because that one opportunity. He ended up joining our club pro-life becoming an officer so you never know what opportunity to serve will change someone so i have a table outside you can stop by we have resources for you you can be in touch with me if you need more help or the regional coordinator um so thank you guys i want to thank juliana for uh doing the video for us and for being available out at the tables after our uh, service today and by the way, Students for Life has, uh, helps students start chapters in their colleges, but also in their high schools and middle schools. So uh, just for what that's worth. Book that I recommend and uh, always encourage people to read is Why Pro-Life by Randy Alcorn. I believe we have some in our library. And uh, uh, that would be a great book for you to purchase and to read if you'd like to learn more about the intricacies of this whole subject. Another way that you can get involved is by opening your home to foster care and adoption and to an unmarried mother. One of the things I love about Lake City is how many of you have done that. You have a heart for that, so well done. And then finally, I want to mention a ministry I'm learning about called Young Lives. So Young Lives is part of the greater um, Young Life ministry. And uh, Rachel Snyder, who's part of our church family, I think she may have just walked out, um, is the leader of our local Young Lives Ministry, and uh, it ministers to pregnant and teen mothers. And their goal is to support them in their choice to keep their baby and to raise their baby. They love them, they support them in a community, and uh, they take them to uh, Young Life Camp in the summer and provide monthly opportunities to get together, support each other, and get biblical uh, uh, truth into their lives. So check out the Young Lives table out there in the foyer as well. Finally, a third way to be involved is just by simply receiving God's forgiveness and God's healing. Psalm 147 tells us this about our Heavenly Father. It says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. See, one of the myths out there is that abortion is unforgivable. Well, the truth is that abortion is absolutely covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And healing, my friends, always starts with forgiveness, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ.
You know, once upon a time, there was a man who traveled from town to town, putting followers of Jesus in jail, even presiding over their executions. All in what he later discovered was a big mistake. The guilt that that man must have felt was intense. But this man also discovered, though his guilt was great, God's mercy is greater. And I'm speaking, of course, of the Apostle Paul. The same man who wrote these famous words in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No matter what anyone has ever done, there is forgiveness, there is healing, and no more condemnation through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you are one of those whose heart has been affected by abortion, I want to say a couple things to you in closing. First, I want to remind you, God wants you to experience his forgiveness, his love and his forgiveness. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all, from all unrighteousness. God wants you, he wants all to experience his healing and forgiveness. And then second, the, the path to healing is not easy, but there's lots of help along the way. Post-abortive counseling can be a tremendous help in experiencing God's forgiveness, in overcoming the symptoms of PTSD that go along with it, and experiencing the warm, forgiving embrace of our loving Father. So, whether it's a very personal thing to you or for someone else that you know, I encourage everyone involved in any way to receive God's forgiveness and healing. Please stop by the tables in the gathering area today to find out more or go to the websites that are in your sermon notes today. Many of these, most of these, are free resources for you to take advantage of. Again, those resources there are the CareNet website, the Save One website, Abortion Hurts, God Heals, our own lifeguards uh, email, and the International Helpline for Abortion Recovery, that 1-800 number there. Check those out. I want to wrap it up with some uh, next steps, and these are on your notes as well today. How do we respond? What, do we, what is God calling us to? It's, it looks a little different for everyone, I understand. One, one option is I will learn more about pro-life issues. Beloved, these are spiritual issues. They're not political issues. These are justice issues as far as God is concerned. And the best place to start is to strengthen our own convictions about what the Word of God teaches us. Just reading the passages of Scripture on your sermon notes would be a great place to start this week. We didn't have time to look at them all today. I'd encourage you to take that uh, sermon notes out again this week and to read through those passages on your own. Pick up uh, Randy Alcorn's book, Why Pro-Life? Study further. Uh, attend the movie that we're showing, the free movie uh, this Friday night, the free showing of Unplanned. And uh, it's free. Child care is free if you RSVP. It's a major movie produced by Pure Flix that was in the theaters this last year. It's the true story of Abby Johnson, not our Abby Johnson, but the gal that ran the Planned Parenthood office in Bryan, Texas. And one day, as the story goes, she watched an abortion on ultrasound for the first time. She was pulled in, didn't expect to be, and God broke her heart by what she saw. And she reached out to the 40 Days for Life people who had been praying outside of her clinic for the past eight years. And uh, it's a 
powerful and encouraging movie, but it's also very hard to watch at points. It's rated R, by the way, and uh, not because of uh, sex or language or uh, anything like that, but because of the graphic portrayal of abortion. And if you want to decide what age kids you want to bring to see it, I would suggest that you Google um, unplanned, like plugged in. Focus on the Family has a great uh, uh, website for reviewing movies. And uh, I want to encourage you to come if you, if you hadn't had a chance to see it. And uh, the ironic thing is that uh, since it's rated R, Kids under 17 can't come without a parent or parent approval, but in our state of Washington, kids under that age can go have an abortion without parental involvement whatsoever. Something's wrong, right? Next step two, I will speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Proverbs 31 says, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who are being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. Beloved, if we don't speak up, our world is left without God's voice on one of the most important issues of our day. We need to speak up. We need to do it with God's love and compassion. Next step three, I will pray for an end to abortion. I firmly believe that prayer is the most powerful thing that we can do to turn the tide on the tragedy of abortion. So I encourage you to pray individually and as a family on a regular basis. I encourage you to come to our monthly prayer focus group right here at Lake City on the first Sunday of each month. That's listed in your bulletin each week. And I encourage you, come the end of February, to be part of the 40 Days for Life prayer campaign. We'll remind you about that. But there's a couple of times of the week during the campaign that I want you to know about. We have a couple of families from our church here that, that lead the 8 a.m. Wednesday shift and the 10 a.m. Saturday shift. So those would be great times to show up or to, to lead one of the other shifts yourself. Finally, last step is I will pursue post-abortion healing by. I gave you that long list of resources. If you or somebody close to you has been touched by abortion, I, I encourage you to choose to get help, to help them find help. You can stop by the displays out in the uh, gathering area. You can go right to the websites or phone numbers. But please, don't put this off. God wants you to experience his love and his healing. There is great, great hope in Christ. There's abundant life to be experienced that he offers. Would you bow with me as we close in prayer? Father, we thank you today for the reminder of your involvement with us even from the moment we were conceived. Thank you for your love and the way you shaped us in our mother's womb. Thank you for the reminder of how much you love all of us and you value life. And Father, I, my prayer is that you would help us to embrace your value for the least among us. Lord, we're encouraged by some of the trends that we see but we don't do this just to look for encouragement. We do it out of obedience and out of a desire to seek justice for you. So, Lord, we ask you to give us your courage. We ask that you'd pour out your healing grace upon each and every person here in this room. And we ask that you'd show us uh, how and where you want us to be involved. Move us to action. And Lord, maybe there's someone here today who's not yet taken that first step toward you to have a relationship with you through faith in Christ. Friend, if that's you, 
I just invite you in the silence of this moment, just pray in your heart of hearts and receive God's forgiveness right now. You can just say something like this. Father, I need your forgiveness. I confess I can't earn it. I, I, I can't ever be good enough or, or religious enough to be forgiven and get to heaven, but I can receive forgiveness today through faith in Jesus and his death and resurrection for me. And so I do. I trust Christ. God, we love you. We thank you that there's healing, that there's forgiveness, that there's abundant life through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.